0: i uh-huh. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Dime Dropper, night number three of the 2022 NBA playoffs. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course, to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. Remember to leave a review if you'd like, and remember to drop some comments for the algorithms. Drop some comments right now in the live chat. We are live right on Midnight about about midnight just after midnight 4:20 to recap the games on April 19th three game twos we had tonight the hawks and the heat the grizzlies and the wolves and the suns and the pelicans all of which I watched hence the reason why I'm late a little bit later tonight I will try to do a better job of getting on a little bit earlier for you guys in the near future but when there's not going to be when when the three games goes away and it's just two games it'll be much easier to do that but anyway, let's start out talking tonight. The Atlanta Hawks and the Miami Heat. Obviously, the Atlanta Hawks got absolutely wrecked in the first game. So it would be, it was, we knew it was going to be a better response and a better performance, particularly by Trey Young, who had the worst playoff game of his young career on Sunday. I think he was 1-14. for 14, So it was going to be imperative to see how he bounced back tonight. And he definitely bounced back a little bit better but there were still some problems. Um, I turned the game on a little bit late in the first quarter, and you could already see the same story we saw in game one with the way the Heat were going to defend him, and that was smothering him. Switch everything, which blew up the schemes, because the, the few moments that Trey Young actually got some freedom was when the Heat did play more traditional with Dwayne Dedman in, where either drop, going drop coverage or hedge, recover slash blitz when they were going to switch everything, they weren't just switching everything and letting Trey go on an island against guys. They were switching everything and then loading up on him. There were even times where, when there was a guard setting the screen, they would switch it, but the guard would basically stay hovering around him as if it made it look like Trey was double or triple teamed. So, not only that, Miami's getting really physical with him, and when he's on the sidelines or baseline, they're trapping him every time. Similarly to how Draymond Green, when... He's been blitzing. He's been blitzing hard on the wings or sidelines, like right in front of where the coach stands. He forced three turnovers, Draymond Green, on that last night. But similar situation to Trey Young tonight with the Heat. And they're all over him. Somebody, but the, the Heat, the Hawks did start out pretty good. You know, DeAndre Hunter caught a couple of lobs and had some nice finishes. Again, no Clint Capella, which really hurts. But John Collins got a, had a bigger role tonight than in game one. Somebody who really impressed me though tonight, and it was probably his best playoff game ever. We can debate whether the bubble, one of the bubble games was up there for that, uh, for this conversation, but Jimmy Butler. He went back to Jimmy G Buckets, the G stands for gets tonight. And Jimmy Butler is a guy who I gave so much praise in the bubble. He was unbelievable. I called him a top 10 player in the league. He was like. Bu- Playing as well as James Harden, Nikola Jokic, as well as anybody, in terms of the way he was picking his spots to take over games, defending when he had to have more high usage and do more. He went off in the finals when Gron Dragic and Bam got hurt. But last year, it was a really weird year for the Heat, you know. They got a lot of injuries. It was a short offseason. They got ravaged by COVID. And they kind of had this, let's just wait till the playoffs and kind of skip the process. Which is not very characteristic of the Heat, but I think they had some kind of arrogance from winning the champ or going to the championship. And Jimmy Butler kept saying, you know, when we get to the playoffs, I'll take care of the rest and do all this. And he looked like a clown in the playoffs. He became more of a, because Goran Dragic declined, he became more of a, and obviously Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero played worse last season. He became more of like a point forward for them that was getting triple double like numbers. And it often seemed like he was passing up shots for assists, like he was worrying about his stats too much. And, He looked like he forgot how to score last year. You know, he didn't he's never been a guy with a vast bag or or ISO package, but he had perfected a move that was hard to stop where hard drive right. If you can get all the way, you can get all the way. If they cut it off, you stop. He would either pump fake or turn and pivot for a mid-range jump shot. He went he abused that move in the bubble. But last season with Giannis guarding him, he couldn't do anything. Tonight, I saw a totally different Jimmy Butler and Heat fans. If you're Heat fans, I know I got a couple in there in my and my subscribers comment to tell me if this has been consistent this season because he was getting the ball mid range and just dominating every single. And I kid you, it's not even a joke. Every single white guy he saw guarding him, whether it was Herder, Gallo, Bogdanovich, he was going right to the basket. Like just, he was getting by guys with his first step. Left and right. And he was going up strong. He was getting fouled a ton. I will say, though, Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, they have a little bit of that foul baiting to them. It seemed like at one point, you know, they were getting basically every call that was a foul and Trey Young was getting little to nothing. So, again, that goes back to home-centric officiating that we talked about in the last episode or last two episodes. You're going to see these calls go towards the home teams in the playoffs. It's just how it always has been. But Jimmy Butler was doing a good job getting fouled. He was pump faking guys at the rim and getting guys in the air. He was and the biggest, most surprising thing of it all was he was hitting his threes. You know, that was crazy. When Jimmy Butler's hitting his jump shots and threes, for you just forget about it. And it made up for the fact that Kyle Lowry didn't have the best night shooting the ball. He missed a lot of threes that he usually makes. Bam out of bio was in foul trouble majority of the night. So Jimmy Butler had to really pick up the slack, and he did so. For example, Kyle Lowry, 2 of 8 from the field and 1 of 6 from deep. So not your typical night from him, but you know what Lowry's going to give other than that. He's going to make the right play. He's going to be able to be a threat on and off the ball. He's going to take charges. He's going to defend, and he's going to compete. You know, he was getting a little testy with DeAndre Hunter at one point of this game, getting chest-to-chest, just getting a little physical. That's what the playoffs are all about. But Jimmy Butler, standout, absolute standout performance. However, in the first half, the Hawks were only down by 2. At the half, you know they were still, they were right there, and you got to give credit to, you know the the main difference, as I said, with these two teams, the Heat guard, and they guard very well, and the Hawks don't really guard, you know they have some switchable personnel like DeAndre Hunter, you know I think Bogdanovich was switching with some guys in certain matchups tonight, but most of their stuff is traditional, hard hedge and recover and worry about rotations, and that is a little bit of a disadvantage in today's NBA with the spacing compared to teams that can switch everything. It's exactly what we talked about last night with Denver and Golden State, and it's kind of the similar situation with Miami and Atlanta. And, you know, with Congo out there, they go mostly drop coverage, sometimes hard hedge. A lot of drop coverage because they don't have... T- with, with Lowry and Tyler Hero, you, really, you do usually have to bring your big man up. And, it, it again, it forces the defense into rotation. And the Miami Heat have an advantage in that aspect. And by the way... Trey Young, so he scored 18 points in the first half. And to be honest, I didn't really, I think he may have scored a good amount in the first quarter when I wasn't really watching because he was really working for everything. And one thing, as I said about the Heat, they're loading up, they're going to switch everything. Trey Young knows that when he goes to the basket, he's going to see multiple bodies and multiple hands. So sometimes it encourages him even more to take that deep three. And the Heat are going to live with that all day long. And the fact that he gets baited into taking such deep threes, I know he makes it and he has crazy range. But again, I'm always going to play the percentages with that. Like, I'm just always going to play them. I will say, when the rare occasions came that Trey Young was being guarded normally in terms of pick and roll straight up, either drop coverage or hedge recover, he was getting into the floater game. He was making the right pass, getting the Hawks into four-on-three situations. And I thought the Hawks were doing a solid job capitalizing off of that. But I still think that they missed... It seemed like they missed a lot more threes than the, Ho- the Heat did. Now, I know it ended out being the Heat only made two more threes than the Hawks at the end of the game, but there was one point in the game where it, it, they had made like 10 more threes, the Miami Heat, in like the third quarter. But despite all that, the Hawks were still right there. So you got to give them credit. I thought DeLon Wright, another good impact off the bench. He was plus eight in the plus minus, and that's reflective of his defense. And he scored nine nine points as well. So he's been a pretty solid, solid piece for, for, the, for the Hawks in, this, in these first two games. But the second half is really where I locked in and focused. And I'll tell you where this went wrong. First of all, the, the Atlanta Hawks did not start the third quarter well by any means. And Trey Young has to take big accountability for this. Five turnovers in the qu- third quarter alone. And that's unacceptable for your star player, your point guard. Two of them, live ball turnovers that were punished. One of them was, and two of them were, when the defense loaded up, Trey Young was just telegraphing his passes. Should have gone bounce pass, went chest pass, when he was basically looking at the nearest man. And the Heat, again, going back to loading up, were ready for those passes. They were sagging off the shooters and playing the passing lanes, and they got out and ran. Max Struess had eight points in the first... I'm sorry, in the third quarter. He missed two threes at the end of the third quarter, but he was hot for a second. He scored off, and he's really strong, by the way. He scored off of a off a Trey Young turnover. And then he came off a screen. Trey Young one second. Just kind of didn't stay attached. Ended up going topside on the screen. Struce got an opening for a three and knocked it down. And Again, I still don't know why teams don't go at Trey Young more. Because I remember when Jimmy Butler had the ball and they did put Trey Young in pick and roll, he's not switching that. He's hedging for a second and trying to recover. So, again, going back to the the Hawks don't have the same switch-everything personnel. But I will say this about Atlanta. They tried harder tonight. They really competed. And I thought that they actually got good looks in the third quarter and were knocking them down for the most part. The only thing was... They took three really quick threes that I didn't like. One by John Collins, one by Gallinari, and another by Bogdanovich that were just unnecessary. And then you pile that on with the seven turnovers that they had in the third quarter. Two of them, by the way, were offensive fouls by Trey. So seven turnovers, five of them coming from Trey, two live ball on telegraph passes, and two on offensive fouls. I don't even remember the fifth, but... Absolutely terrible. And Jimmy Butler just continued to pick up where he left off. Batman Abayo got a fourth foul early in the third quarter. And Jimmy Butler was just ridiculously aggressive. Just kept going to the basket. And even got into his mid-range where he hit a behind-the-back step back from the right elbow. And I was like, oh my goodness. If he's hitting these kind of shots, just forget about it. Just forget about it. Because you know he's going to compete on defense. He was getting in the passing lanes. And Trey Young, I want to keep going back to this because... He's made really uncharacteristic passes in this first in these first two games. Like just passing law passes going off the backboard, passing passes going to the inside hand when they should go to the outside hand, overthrowing passes. Like he scored a couple plays on a couple times on broken plays. Like this one time in the first half, he overthrew an entry pass. Bam, Adibayo almost stole it, and then came to Trey, picked it up, and put up a floater and scored. But you know that's a turnover most nights when when you're doing that. But anyway, Jimmy Butler, as I said, hitting threes as well. And the Heat pushed it to a 10 point lead. And it was an 11 0 run that put him up 75 62. Jimmy Butler was getting MVP chance. It was that Triple A. I still call it the Triple A. I know it's called something different now, but that stadium is always going to be the Triple A to me. The Hawks just had more miscommunications. You know, even they tried, they even tried having more switchable lineups. But it's just, it's not, they're not a super in sync defensive team. Fourth quarter, by the way, Heat outscored the Hawks 31-22 after three. I thought the game was pretty much done. But in the fourth quarter, and by the way, the Heat actually continued in the first in the beginning of the fourth. Dwayne Dedman was doing a great job on the offensive glass. He was getting the crowd pumped up. He was working really hard, giving them extra possessions. But the Atlanta Hawks still had some fight left in them. And by the way, I thought John Collins was a little bit better tonight, especially with his rotations. I thought he played some really good help defense, some great rotations. But it was the boy Bogdan Bogdanovich show in the second half, in the fourth quarter. We talked about in the last recap that Bogdanovich had a terrible. First game. But he bounced back beautifully tonight. Getting into the mid-range area for some fallaways, going to his left. Getting to the basket for for some bank shots, a little in-between game. And then he started hitting pull-up threes in transition. That was one thing the Hawks started doing better. When they were able to get some stops in that fourth quarter, they got into transition. Bogdanovich had a couple pull-up threes. And then he started hitting contested threes. He even hit this one three in the corner, that contested sidestep that was just ridiculous. And for a second, the the Hawks were right there. Again, Trey Young bad turnover, picked off by Jimmy Butler and taken all the way. And then another time, Trey Young, I think he actually got a bucket on a three off the ball. That's another thing, Trey Young so stagnant off the ball. I've said this for like since I started my podcast, but he realized a little bit later. Like this, I'm I'm sorry, but I, I'm going to disagree with the Hawks fans. You may not have a consistent secondary shot creator, but Kevin Herter, Bogdanovich, John Collins, all these guys can actually create in either pick and roll or certain ISO situations. And Trey Young, as great of a shooter as he is, needs to try to be off the ball a little bit more. He doesn't have any spontaneous off-ball movement. He's not Booker, he's not Curry or any of that. And he's also small, so it's really hard for a guy that small to cut off the ball and, you know, just kind of like flash middle and be available for passes, but he can stick behind the three-point line and be a spacer. And he got a three, an open three to cut it down to four by doing just that. And then he missed a layup. Like, late in the game, gets to the rim, misses a layup. And I think he had had another turnover late or something. He didn't close the game well. He had, yeah, the turnover to Jimmy Butler is the one that sticks out. And then he missed a layup. And then when they, it was 102 to 98, and the heat came off a timeout, and Jimmy Butler finished the game like closers and superstars do. Now, I'm not saying Jimmy's a superstar. I still consider him more of an all-star, but we'll see. If you disagree with me, comment below. And you think he's a superstar, but comes in, runs a little bit of a pick and roll with with Bam, drops it off to him for a dunk to make it a six-point game. But, you know, Bogdanovich answered back with that sidestep three to make it a three-point game. But Jimmy Butler... And this was really the play, besides the dunk, he drove to the basket and got a dunk, but the sidestep three, fall away three that Jimmy Butler made to make it 109-101, that was the dagger. And when he made that, you just knew, and he scored again after that too. It was just an incredible closing performance by Jimmy. Like, there's nothing else to say about it. Trey Young missing the layup though when it was a four-point game at 98-102 was absolutely huge. Cause when they when he missed that, the Heat got a rebound and they called timeout. That could have made it a two-point game. And these little plays matter. Ten turnovers matter. Kevin Herter, I thought he, you know, and so the Heat went on to win it 115-105. Jimmy Butler was it was a playoff career high. He was just unbelievable on both ends of the floor. So aggressive. I'd never seen him dominate one on one like that before. He even like was going to the post so much. And I really liked that. I really like that. Like not even like he was going turnarounds over both shoulders, but just turning and facing you sweep through, rip through, going to the rim, pump faking guys and bat- bullying certain guys. And 45 points for him, plus 19, 15 of 25, that's 60% from the field, 4 of 7 from deep. That's insane. And then 11 of 12 from the line. So he just was awesome. Five rebounds, five assists, two steals, zero turnovers. Like that's got to be the best playoff game of his career to me. And it was also awesome that it came in front of the Miami Heat fans. You know, this is a team that played two games at home last season in the playoffs. I don't even know if they were at full capacity, probably close to it. But they had nothing to cheer about in those games. The Bucs just wiped them off the floor. It was a team that looked a little fatigued, a little out of sorts. They've gotten a chance to kind of retool this year, bring Kyle Lowry in, which has taken Jimmy Butler off the ball and made him more comfortable going back to being a scorer and defender. And then Tyler Heros played at, you know, kind of picking up where he left off his rookie year. He had a sophomore slump, and now he's back. He's going to win sixth man of the year. And then guys like Caleb Martin, Struess. Rural players that are going to compete, play defense, and knock down open shots. I also should not forget Gabe Vincent in the first half hit a couple of open threes. That guy can really shoot the ball. We talked about him in a recap earlier this season against my Clippers. He was shooting the lights out in that game. He had 11 points tonight on 3 of 6 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3. So all his made baskets were threes. Tyler Hero, a very quiet 15 points on 5 of 11 shooting. Did his job. Duncan Robinson, though, severely limited tonight. So, got to credit the Hawks' defense. He only played seven minutes, and Spo didn't even go to him again. But Max Strus, 14 points, 5 of 10 shooting, 3 of 8 from deep. I thought he was really solid in his 22 minutes. Kyle Lowry, I said already, nine points. Bam Adebayo only played 24 minutes because he had four fouls. Nine points for him. Not off to the best start to the series for him, but his presence is still felt in those starting lineups with the switch-everything scheme. P.J. Tucker was getting really frustrated with the refs. It's kind of crazy. Nobody on the Heat scored more than 15 points tonight, so it was truly a carry job offensively for Jimmy. 45 points, as I said, just unbelievable. As for the Hawks, yikes. Gallinari, 0 for 6, two points, and by the way, throughout the game, the Hawks just had a lot of chances to get, you know, the the shot quality on their threes wasn't as good as Miami, but they still got a ton of open looks, and it seemed like for a while the Heat were just making them, and the Hawks weren't. It seemed like a battle of the three ball for a bit. It ended up being 12 for 40 for Atlanta. That's only 30%. That's a lot of threes, but a lot of them were good looks. Trey Young can do without taking 10 of them for one. I'll get into him in a second. 14 for 36 for Miami, though, 39%. So you're going to take that for sure. Pretty efficient. Gallinari, as I said, 0 for 6, 0 for 4 from 3, 2 points, just not good enough. John Collins, 13 points, 10 rebounds, 6 of 11 from the field. I think they got to try to... I just don't feel as though the Hawks try to develop Collins as a go-to guy. I feel like they just make him a pick-and-pop roll guy, and I think he has some potential to work in the mid-post a, li- a bit, you know, turn and face. Not necessarily post up, but turn and face. DeAndre Hunter, pretty solid tonight, I thought. 16 points. He's, he's, you can really tell his presence on Demons in terms of his length and size. 16 points, 6-15 six from the field. 1-5 of five from deep, though, again. Another guy that just could not make his open threes. Kevin Herter, same deal, 9 points, 3 of 10 from the field, 3 of 7 from deep. Bogdanovich was incredible, though, 29 points to lead the way for Atlanta, 12 for 18 from the field, that's 66%, and then 5 of 10 from deep. Trey Young, though, his efficiency is the only thing that looks good. 25 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists on 10 of 20 shooting, but 2 of 10 from deep. So he was 8 for 10 from 2. I'm not going to say he should have shot way more twos because it's hard. The, the, he's not getting many looks. It's not like Kevin Durant where I can say you need to go to the post more. You need to go catch the ball in the mid post and face. It's not easy for Trey. He's more comfortable. He's a point guard. Point guards are more comfortable. I can attest at the top of the key. Running pick and rolls. But 10 turnovers, I guess that's not going to do it. And then not closing well enough in the fourth, not making the big plays when you were given an opportunity by your teammate. Two games, two poor performances for, from Trey Young. He should take the, uh, a good amount of the blame for this one. I think, you know, are you going to blame Kevin Herter for going 3-10, Gallinari for 0-6, saying he had no help when he's turned the ball over 10 times? No, you can't do that. You can't do that. Because we already know that Trey Young's not doing on, anything on defense. He's trying, though. He didn't wasn't terrible tonight. But he's just not doing much for you. 2-0 heat. Must win for the Hawks coming up. It's going to be interesting. I, I was entertained tonight, though. I was definitely entertained. Now we're going to shift gears to the Minnesota Timberwolves game two against the Memphis Grizzlies. So I watched the whole first half and a little bit of the third before I realized this game was cooked. And it was just a total difference night and day in terms of the energy from the Memphis Grizzlies. Last game I talked about, the Wolves made all the little plays. They were first to every loose ball. They made big threes against momentum. But this game, it was the Grizzlies who, as, as they should have, took it to the Wolves to start the game. They were clearly trying to push the pace more which is exactly what the Wolves did to them in the first game. And they were, you know, the the defensive rotations for Memphis, their help defense, particularly particularly Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark were everywhere. You know, long arms, making themselves big, helping if a guy got beat, running out to the three-point line and running guys off the line, just making it seem like there were more bodies on the court than there were. And one thing I really noticed, and by the way, the refs called everything in the first quarter of this game. 20 fouls for both teams in the first quarter. Um, obviously combined, but one thing I noticed was John Morant. They said pregame that he wanted to get his teammates more involved. John Morant has been talking a lot before this game. He's been tweeting. He posted the Jordan, a real uh real uh, man talks. It's easy to talk when it's when you're up one nothing. Not easy when it's even score. You're behind. And John Morant posted that Jordan video, but he backed it up tonight for sure. He let. Guys like Dylan Brooks get going a little bit in the beginning. He he passed the ball a little bit before he started making his move. And it was pretty even in, in that stretch where he was doing that. Carl Anthony Towns picked up a silly foul with his hand in the cookie jar. A second foul early in the game. But Chris Finch, credit to him, he stuck with Cat. And Cat had a really solid first quarter. He got to the line a couple of times. He posted up and split a double team for a jump hook. He got to the basket once and dunked it down. So... That was a pretty impressive start. A guy though that was taken out of the game, we didn't see the same performance tonight was Anthony Edwards. In the beginning of the game, you saw the Wolves go to more Delo and Cat. Uh but Ant he was being a little bit passive to start the game. He was 0 for 3 and all three of those shots that he took in the beginning were tough shots, jump shots, contested. He finally he finally scored a, he hit a bucket at the end of the quarter. But the Grizz, you know, they also made an effort besides the help defense, besides the transition, to get in the paint. That was their goal. T- Dylan Brooks was trying to get in the paint, and then John Morant, once once the you know first six minutes or so went by, he was relentless, trying to attack the paint on pick and rolls. His the ability for him to go from standing up straight to just low and splitting the D is incredible. And if you're guarding John Morant, you and you're not switching, you're actually getting over the screen, playing the pick and roll straight up, which when Carl Anthony Towns in the game, they do such a thing. They do that. They don't switch everything. You need to get over that screen and trail him from behind because a lot of times what I've seen Jaw do is he'll burst when he comes off that screen and basically try to go downhill on the big man like he's one-on-one with him. And tonight there was one play where he came off the screen and then swiftly crossed over the right hand and went the opposite of the, where the big was was trying to get him to go. And that put the deep gets gets all the help defenders collapsing to him, but and it's very hard to guard when he's doing that. You know, coming off the screen, quick change of direction, downhill. He was creating good shots. He found Xavier Tillman and Brandon Clark on pick and roll reads when they were uh, hard hedging, recovering, and the recovery or the rotation wasn't there. Remember, it's hard to do that in today's NBA because the rotations are further. They're deep in the corners. These shooters. Desmond Bain also got off to a good start, shooting the ball today. And that was big. Got a couple of free throws, hit a couple of jump shots. But John Morant, late in that first quarter, he started getting going. He started, he started pushing the pace off makes. And there, were, there was a sequence where the Wolves and the Grizzlies were just trading baskets, trading jump shots. John Morant was coming, getting a screen very high. And that's the one thing I criticized him for last game. But he did a good job of first trying to get his teammates those shots and then attacking constantly. And he was getting to the rim, finding guys, and making good reads. But it was only a one-point game after the first quarter. Second quarter, though, it was a very similar situation to what happened in game one. When Jaw went to the bench, that second unit of Tyus Jones, D'Anthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, and it was Dylan Brooks, and then Xavier Tillman made a made a nice run. And Xavier Tillman did a really good job rolling, got a couple of buckets on pick and rolls. One of them was an N1 dunk. But he also did a good job on this one defensive possession on Carl Anthony Towns. And he had two offensive rebounds in the second quarter alone, at least just in the first five minutes of it. He was very active. And the Grizzlies were very active. I saw that they lead the league in offensive rebounds, or at least second chance points. One of the two, maybe both. But I know they lead the league in second chance points. And they were much better on the glass tonight. Jaron Jackson Jr. was just working really, really hard and Xavier Tillman was working really hard. I thought he had a great impact off the bench. Also, Brandon Clark's length, when he comes into the game, they can go a lot more switch everything. Steven Adams only played three minutes tonight. So he got two fouls early, and he went out of the game, and they didn't play him again. Because that's because the Grizzlies want to go with more switch everything personnel. Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, being those versatile bigs that can move their feet. Kyle Anderson's got a lot of length, too. He, he has long arms and makes a difference. But yeah, let me look at the offensive rebound count for the Grizz. Fourteen offensive rebounds to four, so there's there's a big difference right there, forty-eight to forty in the rebounding battle. It was just, and they were forcing turnovers too. Nine turnovers for Memphis, nineteen for Minnesota, and it's funny because the Wolves actually kind of kind of responded to the the flurry where, you know, Dylan Brooks made an open three, Xavier Tillman offensive rebounds, Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson was getting in the lane for a couple of floaters. They responded to that fairly well when Anthony Edwards came back into the game. Um, but the, they ended the second quarter, the Grizzlies, very well. And that had to do with by the way, and this has to do with a third foul on Carl Anthony Towns, a silly foul, shooting a three and sticking his legs out. Like, dude, what are you thinking? This is the second game in three that Carl Anthony Towns has gotten himself into foul trouble by making boneheaded mistakes. Too many careless turnovers for the Timberwolves. That one is included in that. You got Malik Beasley stepping on the three point line in transition, Anthony Edwards going to ISO and just losing the ball, slipping out of his hands. And the Grizzlies had a flurry to end the quarter, moving the ball beautifully, finding open shooters. Desmond Bain was hitting jumpers. John Morant was attacking the rim, and just you know how his contact finishes are—just going straight into the teeth of the defense. You know, Nas Reed actually had some decent moments of good defense, but overall, when John gets that two feet in the paint, you're done. You know what I'm saying? You—if you're gonna hard hedge that fool, you better hedge him in t- and you better hedge him hard, and make sure that your guard can recover in time because. He will turn that corner on you quick. I promise you. He will turn that corner or split. He's so good at doing either. And then drop coverage, you're basically inviting him to your big man to just like elevate and go at his chest, and he's amazing at that. Jaron Jackson Jr. also finally hit a three uh, late in the first half. And it was off the dribble, too, even though he had gotten a couple open looks. The toughest one was off the dribble. By the way, Tyus Jones, also another great impact off the bench tonight. 10 points on 4 of 8 shooting. Just a really solid performance by the Grizzlies bench again. Brandon Clark, 13 points, 5 of 8 shooting. And then, after the beginning of the third quarter, I saw there wasn't much needed to watch anymore. Once I saw John Morant hit a step-back 3, I was like, all right, this is done. The, The energy was too much for Memphis. They were super determined to win this game. They were everywhere on defense. They were rebounding. They were pushing the pace. They were just, they wanted it more. As cliche as that sounds, they wanted it more. Jaron Jackson Jr., great rotations. Put back dunk in the second quarter. He was awesome. Fifth, 16 points for him on and seven rebounds on five of 12 shooting. And even though he missed his first two threes, four of seven overall in the game. So he ended up making four of his next five. Dylan Brooks missed all. well, I was I was mistaken. Then it was a long two that Dylan Brooks made. He was 0 of 5 from deep, but 3 of 11 from the field. And don't let that fool you that he only had nine points. He played great. He played great. And then Desmond Bain, they needed a better performance. They got a better performance. 16 points for him on 5 of 10 shooting. He only made one three, one of four from there, but was awesome. And then John Morant led by example tonight. And guys, I'm starting to lean more jaw on this jaw versus Trey battle. I gave Trey the benefit of the doubt all season, but the difference is jaw doesn't make as many bad plays. You know, I don't think either of them are really good at defense, but Trey's legitimately bad. Jaws, as, as far as I've seen so far, average. And also jaw attacks the paint. And I'm always going to go with the guy that can attack the paint and he's taller, longer arms than a guy that's going to rely on jump shots. And jaw Morant, Another thing I like about him is just that it factor. Like, when it comes to intangibles, I favor Ja. You know, Trey's decision-making, his high turnovers, are a little much sometimes. John Moran only turned the ball over two times tonight. Ten assists. Found guys on the roll all night. And, you know, he doesn't really get hard-hedge recover, mostly with Jaw, But you kind of have to blitz him sometimes because you don't want to let him get downhill. Even though he doesn't have a jump shot where he can come off the screen and just pop like Trey Young, you, you don't want to let him get downhill. It's a different sort of threat. And Ja... I thought he bounced back really well tonight. 23 points, 9 rebounds, 10 assists on 9 of 16 shooting, 2 of 4 from deep. And one thing I like about him too is he legitimately when he has a smaller guard on him, I'm not saying he'll go to the post, but like he will he tried to post up Pat Beverly at one point tonight. And like he'll try to go right at their chest, try to overpower them and he made the sign too small. So I love that about him. He just has that it factor and the Grizzlies are blessed with it. They took care of business tonight, but let's remember 124 to 96, but let's remember the Timberwolves got what they came for. They got the game. Now it's going to be tough because we remember that Minnesota crowd from that Clipper game. They were hostile, and it's going to be really hostile because they've only been in the playoffs two times since I've started watching basketball. This is my 17th year, and they've only been in the playoffs twice: 2018 and this. So it's going to be it's going to be electric. Anthony Edwards, his stat line: 20 points on 7 of 16. One thing about Ant, and I criticized him last season for this, and this has been my criticism of him, he can't be too in love with the three. I know he shot 40% tonight. He's been shooting lights out, but he can't get too in love with it because he's super athletic and has a great quick first step. But not a great performance from any Wolf tonight to me. Colin Anthony Towns, 4 of 7, got himself in foul trouble, and it was part of the reason why the Grizzlies made that run. 15 points, 11 boards. D'Lo needs to be way better than this. Two games where he shot poorly, 11 points. He needs to be much better in Minnesota. And now let's end it off with what was maybe the most entertaining game of the night. By the way, shout out to the live subscribers waiting patiently in the chat. Don't worry, I will get you your comments tonight for sure. But again, a nice start from the Suns. Devin Booker doing it. I don't want to say doing it all, but doing it. 16 points in the first quarter for Book. Whether it was coming off of screens, on the ball, if the big was dropped, Valanchunas was dropped too deep, or he was coming off screens, and this is, by the way, I'm starting to really, like, lock in and focus on the Phoenix Sun sets, and they love a lot of that double drag where they run one guard, Look, like usually Book setting the screen and, and popping out, and then Chris Paul coming off that screen and then coming off Aiton's screen, so he has two options. He has Aiton's lob, and he has Booker's kick out, uh, basically like a cross-court pass, and the reason why that's hard to guard is because usually the, the closest man would be rotating to Aiton, but that's got he's got to worry about Booker, so he's got to leave Booker. And that's a really genius play. And then there's another play where it's not the Spain pick and roll. The Spain pick and roll is when they screen the screener's man off after he sets a screen. But it's another one where, they, I think they called it, what do they, they, they set a name for it at half second half, uh, Rebecca Harlow said some name. But it's where Booker comes off, the, Chris Paul comes off an, off an Ayton screen, and then Booker comes up, and it's like Ayton kind of sets a screen for him as he's rolling and Booker gets an open three right at the top and he got several open shots with that and then he was just getting into his mid-range area and the step back shot he hit at the end of the, uh, end of the first quarter was like ridiculous but mind you it makes it, the way I'm talking right now it sounds like the Suns are just killing the Su- Pelicans in the first oh no The Pelicans came out with much better intensity tonight much better attention to detail and I thought that one of the reasons that was, was uh, let me, I'm going to check right now to see if this was an adjustment made by Willie Green, but Jackson Hayes started tonight. And I thought, oh no, okay, he started the other night too, never mind. But I don't know, it, it seemed like they were more versatile defensively. You know, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum are going to switch a lot of actions. Obviously not on on Ayton, but they're going to switch everything else basically. But Valanchunas, you're going to go typical drop coverage with him uh, or hard hedge recover. And actually, no, they were going a lot of hard hedging for focusing on rotations because they have the length with Herb Jones, with Brandon Ingram, and of course, CJ being your smallest guy, that's pretty good. He's like 6'3", but he's he's hefty. So he usually plays the two in Portland. So having him as your smallest guy is good. So you can focus on covering that ground uh, for the roller and getting out to the shooters in time. And Brandon Ingram started out the first quarter very similarly to how we started out the playing game against us. Dominating in the mid-range area. Coming off screens with that right elbow. Posting guys up. He got two fouls on Devin Booker in the first quarter. He was awesome. He set the tone really nicely. And the Pelicans led 30-28. to 28, Even though CJ McCollum missed a couple of open shots that he usually makes. You know, his typical mid-range coming off a screen when the biggest drop too deep. Or an open three. Missed multiple of those in the first quarter. But the Pelicans were up two because of that. Just great defense overall and drop coverage for New Orleans. Valentino's doing a good job. Everybody doing a good job rotating and CJ was starting to hit. He started to hit the open shots at the end of the quarter. He hit an open three on the left wing, if I recall correctly, and started knocking him down, led by two after one. Second quarter, by the way, another guy who's been playing really well the last three games going back to the play-in, Larry Nance Jr. Because when he comes in, that gives the Pelicans the versatility to do their own version of switch everything. It got cooked in the fourth quarter last game against Chris Paul, but tonight Chris Paul was not on the same time. He looked a little fatigued. He started out deferring to Booker again, but he didn't fully get his shot going at any point himself. And he was missing shots that he's made his whole career. The typical mid-ranges coming off screens, go, you know, right elbow or isolating with the favorable switch, just trying to lull guys to sleep for that mid-range or that three. Coming off screens, Big was dropped too deep, pulling a three and missing. So, and a lot of the shots were short, which tell me that his legs were kind of gone. And Charles Barkley made a reference to him looking a little tired tonight. And he looked like it. But Larry Nance not only was playing good defense, he was, you know, crashing the boards. He got an offensive rebound. He even hit a three and a long jump shot. So that was really impressive to me about Nance that he was able to do that. The Pels, again, for the second consecutive game, dominated the glass. Tonight, 43-33. to So I think both games, they've won the glass battle by 10. And Jonas Valanciunas is a big reason for this. Three offensive rebounds, but 13 rebounds overall to go with his 10 points. And you know what's funny, guys? If you all remember correctly, and go watch the vlog that I still have up on my channel, when Valanciunas played the Clippers in the first game this season, he literally made like eight threes like he was Dirk Nowitzki. But that was clearly just an outlier. He's not that great of a three-point shooter. I know he can hit it but he just looks it looks long and just awkward when he shoots it and he's been passing them up. He only shot 2 of them tonight and missed them both and he stopped shooting it after that. And I actually like it cuz you got a little pick and pop action. Valanchunas hands it off to McCollum who's coming over from the other side and then he'll set us go into a dribble handoff. I actually really like that action. And it will roll to the basket or 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 yeah, roll to the basket and Valanchunas can hit that push shot. The push shot that DeAndre Ayton was making again tonight. But I have, I have a really big problem with the way the Suns use Aiden. I think he's way more skilled than what they give him. Six shots? Six shots for a guy that wasn't in foul trouble and Devin Booker ended up getting injured in this game and you're only giving him the ball? Like, they just use him as like a role player. Like He just, just can do pick and rolls. Like, dude, this guy has skill. He has turnarounds over both shoulders. He has mid-range game. He has a jump hook. But you're not going to make him a star when playing him like this. And I'm not going to, and, and by the way, those are going to say Monty should draw more plays. Fuck that. No, Monty is a coach. The NBA is the most free reign league of them all. Mr. Point God. He constantly wants to do everything pick and roll sometimes. This has been my biggest criticism of him since we had him. Like, I love Chris, man. I love him. I think he's he gets it so much. And he's such an he's got one of the greatest basketball IQs of all time. But sometimes he just wants to do his Chris Paul game. Sometimes it's just best to go like they need to go traditional old school feed the post with Ayton. Like straight up. And tonight, the Pelicans, they don't, they weren't really switching much. They, they were in the Nance lineup, but with Valanchunas, who was usually matched up against Aiton, they don't switch that action because they're too, they're smarter than that. But I think Aiton has the ability to go one-on-one against Valentunis. because sometimes they were throwing it to Valanchunas to go one-on-one against Aiton. What makes you think that Aiton can't do the same? Six shots? That's just not enough for me. But anyways, but Mikael Bridges and Jake Crowder, by the way, we're doing such a great job, like in the first half, and their defense is just so good. They're able to, the Suns don't really do switch everything. They rely on that drop coverage with Ayton and McGee because they have great length that they can get over those screens with Bridges, with, with Cam Johnson, and with Crowder. And they were doing a good job of that again tonight, just classic. Mikael Bridges was hitting threes as well. He ended up finishing two of three from three, seven of 11 from the field, 19 points. I thought Bridges was really good. Jay Crowder, though, has had a tough start shooting the ball and just a tough start in general. He is only averaging three points right now in the series. 2 of 11 from the field tonight. 0 of 5 from 3. The Suns were 13 of 35 from deep, so 37%. Not that bad. Could have used a 3 or 2 from Jay Crowder, though, for sure. And maybe an extra 3 from Cam Johnson, who was 1 of 6. And Campaign Payne was 0 of 2. It was really Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges that really bailed out the percentage. Devin Booker in the second quarter came back in the game after Chris. You know, He, got, he, got, he hit a shot or two, but he just had, wasn't really going like that. CJ McCollum started to get going though. There was one point in the second quarter where I was telling my dad I was like, yo, CJ needs to pick it up because the Pels are right there. They are really right there. Like he turned it over on a double te- uh he turned it over when he was double teamed and um missed some good looks. 7 Pels turnovers in the second quarter. I just it looked like the Suns were going to start pushing pushing it and running away with it in the second quarter. I think they went up by 8 points. But CJ started to hit threes at the end of the quarter and Trey Murphy, like the the young wings for the Pels, Herb Jones Trey Murphy and Najee Marshall, they have good length. They play hard, and they're pretty decent shooters. At least Trey Murphy has shown that he's a pretty decent shooter. He made a big three to make it a two-point game going into the half. But Devin Booker in the second quarter, again, came back in and just went nuclear. Like, getting into his mid-range, getting into that play that I talked about where he's coming off the pin down and and shooting straightaway three. Just scoring in basically every which way you can think of. And hitting such tough shots. Like the degree of difficulty he even pulled up from the logo at the end of the quarter. It was insane. He had 31 points at halftime. 31. So by the way, for those that want to keep debating who the best player on this Suns team, I've been consistent for over a year now with this Dime Dropper fam. You already know. It's disrespectful to what Booker does. You act like people can just score like that. Like people think that just score. It's not about, and this is why I cannot stand. I don't like this narrative that two points is two points. 25 points is 25 points. When you score on the ball and off the ball, you can run legit sets where you can just catch the ball and fire or catch the ball and work quickly off the catch from anywhere on the floor. That makes it so much easier for people to play with you. It makes it so much harder to guard. It's less predictable. These are things that people need to consider when ranking Booker amongst the league. I don't want to hear borderline top 10 anymore. He's fucking top 10. I don't want to hear it. It's disrespectful at this point. To just say it's his team. It's disrespectful because he's defending. Chris Paul's the worst star defender in this starting lineup. And by the way, that brings me to my next point. Chris Paul can't guard anybody besides like Herb Jones in that starting lineup for the Pels. Every time they had CJ or Ingram, they would go to the post and all Chris could do was foul. Even Brandon Ingram, early to start the third quarter, got a bump and won. And Brandon Ingram, even though he went quiet. Like when the Suns made their run in the second quarter, Ingram Sat out for a while, it seemed. And when he came back in, like, he didn't even touch the ball. It was all CJ, basically. But in the third quarter, he picked up where he left off, got to the rim a couple times, hit a corner three, even though he turned his ankle, and that was kind of concerning for a sec. And the Pelicans took the lead, 69-67. Chris Paul, though, started going a little more ball dominant. I think that was a a point of emphasis for them to try to get Chris going in the second half. He scored seven points in the third quarter, but still missed a lot of shots, man. Mid-range. And I think the Pels did a better job on him overall, trying to force him to his left a little bit too, even was forced to make a left-handed layup, which he did at one point in the fourth. But they were trying to take away that right hand as much as they could. Not really as much as they could, but a little bit. He was missing shots that he normally made though, guys. 5 for 16 from the field for CP. 5 for sixteen. Two of 6 from 3. And almost none of these shots were like, yes, they were well contested, but none of them were completely out of the ordinary for Chris. And you got to give credit to the Pels' defense for sure. And Booker getting injured, though, changed the whole game. We were wondering where he was for the rest of the third quarter. And the the Pelicans took full advantage of this. Reggie Miller, there was a lineup because Chris had to get his rest. There was a lineup where Reggie was like, no Chris, no Book. Reggie Miller, that is. You got to push this lead to eight or nine. They did exactly that. And they did it by, obviously, Brandon Ingram, a little bit of CJ McCollum, but getting out in transition on misses. And that's one thing that the Pelicans with their youth need to do more, especially when they go back home to Smoothie King Center. Jackson Hayes had two straight dunks in transition. And I really loved the way he was playing tonight. There was one amazing sequence where Mikael Bridges had, Jack, J- he was guarding Jackson Hayes on the block. And I was like, okay, Jackson Hayes, post game turned over his right shoulder, put up with his right hand, and Mikael Bridges swatted it. And on the other end, he tried to dunk. Literally exactly the same play, went and tried to dunk. And Jackson Hayes came out of nowhere and pinned him off the glass or pinned him on the glass with two hands. It was sick, just a sick play by Jackson Hayes who had nine points on four to seven shooting in two blocks, one of them being that one I just described. It was awesome. Totally awesome. Fourth quarter though, and by the way, the Pelicans outscored the Suns 34 22 after three. I thought Larry Nance again, he, I think he made that was when he hit uh, the long two. Just a really solid performance again and he gives them that defensive versatility they can trying to switch everything. But Brandon Ingram was the star of the third quarter. Mid-range assassin baby. How many threes? Let's see how many threes Brandon Ingram shot tonight. 3, and guess what? He made every single one. 3 of 3, but 13 for 21 from the field and 8 of 8 from the line. 37 points, 11 rebounds, and 9 assists. Like that's a superstar stat line. Again, we're seeing a star before our very eyes. Andrew Wiggins as solid as he is, he is not a better player than than Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram's Pelicans were just doing so badly because he legitimately had no help in the beginning of the season, and that's why he didn't make the All-Star team. And that's not a knock on Andrew Wiggins. There's just levels to this shit, and Brandon Ingram is one of the best young players in the league, and he has not gotten the chance to show this for so many years because he was on a Laker team that traded him and had a—he would have made the playoffs in 2019 if LeBron hadn't gotten hurt, and obviously he had the blood clot, so that was a a reason we don't talk about that the Lakers didn't make the playoffs either, but— we weren't able to see him in the playoffs for several years of his career. You have this whole Zion thing where he's just like leaving Brandon Ingram out to dry. He constantly has foot issues. He's out of shape. You know, it's taken so long for him to get back on the court. But thankfully, the Pelicans front office made a move to bring in CJ McCollum and give Brandon Ingram some help. Because next season, because they're still not going to win this series, I don't think. Unless Booker's out for the whole thing, which I don't think he will be. But it's getting dangerous now. But if Booker's out for these games in New Orleans... Ooh, they gotta get at least one New Orleans. They gotta push these guys. If it's if Devin Booker's out, there's no reason why they don't think they should win the series because they gotta have the best player on the court. Maybe the maybe the top two. I don't know if I'm ready to say CJ's better than Chris though. But Ingram is for sure the best to me. Like I don't care what anyone says. His defense is good, and he he, he literally is unguardable at times when he's when, he kind of is when he's scoring like that. There's nothing to stop a guy that's made the mid-range of science. There's nothing. I, I keep saying this. Mid-range wins in the playoffs. I said this about Brandon Ingram. I, I need to go find that clip because I literally said that the mid-range mastery of him not shooting threes will benefit him down the line in postseason play. And it's we're seeing it right now. We're literally seeing it. Fourth quarter. Very interesting. This is when you knew if Chris Paul had a takeover left in him, this is where it had to happen. Well, the Suns started out the fourth with a 15-5 run. And I thought somebody who was a really, really good player for the Suns tonight, JaVel McGee. You know what an addition he was. We talked about it in the Phoenix Suns preview with my man Nothing But Suns before the season even began. That they brought him in because they want to have somebody else for Giannis when DeAndre Ayton goes to the bench if they meet him again. And JaVel McGee, alongside that, he's really good in drop coverage playing ball handler and, and roller because he's so long and athletic. Great rolling to the basket, got a couple of easy dunks on that, and then when the when the Pelicans did go switch everything in the Nance lineup, he was able to establish low post position or low just position underneath the basket and drew fouls. He was four for four from the field, had didn't have a block, but he had ten points on four for four, and was a really solid solid spark for the Suns, and even made a beautiful pass to a cutting Mikael Bridges early in that fourth quarter. Mikael Bridges had two dunks on two cuts, and I think Bridges is one of the best off-ball movers, cutters in the NBA that Villanova experienced. By the way, the Villanova boys, Jalen Brunson and, and Mikhail Bridges, that 2018 team, doing the business right now. But when when Mikhail Bridges had those two dunks, and then Cam Johnson, who I thought had a really solid game outside of the missing threes, had a nice turnaround on a stop on a dime on an ISO, like one-on-one, stopped on a dime at the foul line, turned over his left shoulder and hit and got a steal and went all the way for a dunk, I thought that's when the Suns would maybe just ride the momentum home and the Pelicans' inexperience would take over. But they don't fully have inexperience because they still have CJ McCollum. And despite the fact that the Suns went up 1-96-95 with about eight minutes left, Danny Danny Green, Willie Green called timeout. And by the way, I am so... Proud of Willie Green, man. 2013 starting shooting up for my Clippers. We had the most wins in franchise history at the time. I know it was a disappointing season when we lost to Memphis. And but Willie Green is, you know, he was one of us, and his enthusiasm when he coaches is awesome. He was telling them to push the pace. They were doing exactly that. But Brandon Ingram, mid-range pull-up. Gave the Pelicans the lead, 99-98. And by the way, I almost forgot, a guy that was huge in the fourth quarter, seven points, a floater and drop coverage, and two threes. I think eight points, I'm sorry, in the fourth. Jose Alvarado. He played big when they needed him to in the fourth. Those two threes and that floater and drop coverage, really good reads. And, well, the the floater was a read, but the other ones just catching and shooting and making it, and then playing hard defense. And Chris Paul just kind of ran out of gas. Missed a mid-range. You know, DeAndre Ayton missed a mid-range. That's when you knew the momentum was, was coming. C.J. McCollum came off the screen. DeAndre Ayton was dropping too deep. Pulled up from straight away. Four-point Pelicans lead, 102.98. And you knew the momentum was starting to shift here. And when Alvarado made his second three, that put the Pels up six. And I was starting to think right there that they could ride this home. The momentum had kind of been sucked out of the building, and it's like, what are you relying on here? You're relying on Chris Paul to, to save you again? Because they're not going to Aiden really, as, as a real post-up big man. They're not really using him like a star, and that's a problem. And then, once again, CJ McCollum getting to the basket and hitting another three, just a classic CJ McCollum fourth quarter kind of takeover situation. Brandon Ingram then made a three, and made two threes, in fact, and finished it off and just closed it with his mid-range. An unbelievable performance by Brandon Ingram. 125-114, to 114, the Pelicans win it. They outscore the Suns 35-31 in the fourth, but it was really the third quarter where they made their mark. However, the Suns did get back in it and took the lead in the fourth, so I I, I don't want to say that. It was the fact that they had two— it was the, kind of like the Clippers, actually. They had two stars, and the Suns had one, and he was gassed. All his shots were short. Brandon Ingram, 37-11-9. 13 of 21 shooting. 3 of 3 from 3. 8 of 8 from the line. Incredible. Herb Jones, also really solid. Hit 2 threes out of 3. 5 of 8 from the field. Had a nice tough finish against DeAndre Ayton as well in the second half. And he played good defense. Has great length. 14 points. That kid's got potential. Valanchunas did what he needed to do. 10 points. 13 rebounds. Not a crazy game, but did what he needed to. 4 of 9 shooting. Jackson Hayes, I already talked about. 9 points. 4 of 7 was good. McCollum. His stat line in terms of his field goal percentage doesn't look great. 23 points on 7 of 18 shooting, but 6 of 10 from 3. And in the fourth quarter, made the big shots that counted, penalizing DeAndre Ayton in drop coverage. And am I going to blame DeAndre Ayton for the game tonight? Nah, not really. Maybe a little bit, but it's like they need to empower him more. They need to empower more. Chris Paul, if anyone, needs to take the biggest blame tonight. And it's also just bad luck. Devin Booker getting hurt. And this tells you guys to stop underestimating what Devin Booker does for this team. This whole, Chris Paul's so much better in the advanced stats. Fuck the advanced stats. Those advanced stats look cute in the regular season against these bullshit-ass teams load managing. But when you're playing against Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum and everything on the line, you're going to need Devin Booker, baby. Because guess what? If they don't have him in the second round... Ooh, I don't know though. The Mavs and the Jazz jury's still out on them, but the way this looks right now, guys, the Golden State Warriors look like the fi- I know it's only been 2 games and maybe I'm overreacting, but the Golden State Warriors look like the best team in the league and in the West. There's so, there's just with the way Jordan Poole is playing and and the difference with the Warriors and the Suns is they'll switch everything on you. And they have they won't give you any mismatches like that or, or play the pick and roll straight up. And once Chris Paul faces that kind of defense, what the hell is he gonna do? What's he gonna do when he sees Iguodala, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins? He's gonna hope that he can try to score on Steph Curry and Jordan Poole. That's his best bet, but it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. But the Suns got bigger problems right now. One twenty-five to one fourteen. Larry Nance thirteen point six rebounds on five on six and nine shooting. And then for the Suns, DeAndre Ayton ten points, nine rebounds, four assists. He needs to just. Sh- Zero turnovers. Like, he needs to get the ball more. Four of six is not good enough. Mikael Bridges, 19 points, six rebounds, seven of 11 from the field, and two of three from three. He was he was great. I already talked about Crowder. Chris Paul, 17 points and 14 assists. I also, yeah, see, that stat line still looks good. Like, I want to still say about Chris, he still made some great passes, was making some great dump-offs in the pick-and-roll. You know, making the right reads. You already know Chris Paul's going to make all the right reads, find open shooters, great passer, making some nice passes in transition too. Like, just passing it up ahead and, and letting them go like he did in game one. but And zero turnovers too, like 14 assists to zero turnovers, the god of assist to turnover ratio. But he missed too many shots, and they needed him to be better tonight, especially in the fourth quarter. 5-16 of 16 for Chris, 2-6 of six from three. I guarantee he'll bounce back though. And one subplot to this series we're not even talking about, Chris Paul playing his former franchise that drafted him and that he played six years for in the playoffs for the first time. So that's something to think about. That's going to be exciting. Devin Booker, 31 points all in the first half. 12 of 19 from the field. 7 of 11 from deep. Cam Johnson, 11 points on 4 of 10 shooting and 1 of 6 from deep. But that's it for me tonight, guys. A great slate of games. It's playoffs. I've been really entertained so far. I hope you guys can tell by my enthusiasm talking about these games. It's totally different. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm going to keep enjoying it. Tomorrow, though. Ooh-ee-ee. there's like This is how I see it, guys. There's every single series that's solid, and then there's the Celtics-Nets series that's like ten levels above. That's like a conference final series. It's incredible. I cannot wait. I love it because the home team won the first game, so that means that if the Nets want a better chance of winning this series, they gotta get one tomorrow. How is Kevin Durant gonna respond? How are this? Is Jalen Brown gonna have a slightly better game? Is Tatum gonna be that good again? And is Kyrie gonna be that good again? I can't wait to see what adjustments the Nets make. Thanks for joining me tonight, guys. Let me know what you think in the comments. Make sure you comment for the algorithms. Make sure you leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts for me. Let me know what you think. Give me all your feedback. And now we're going to go to the live subscribers waiting oh so patiently in the chat at 1 a.m. Pacific time. I got the best fans in the world, man. Peace.